A rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. He summoned him and said, What is this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? One day we're going to have to prepare a full report of our stewardship. The final judgment. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So how did I use the gifts that God gave me? Right. And not just the gift of money, but also of time and talent. So everything we have was given to us by God. Yes. It's a gift. And so we need to be good stewards of those gifts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did they understand the resurrection? Did they understand what was going to happen and, and everything at this point? They didn't really. No, did they, they? I mean, Jesus had prepared them for that. But they were like, it's kind of foolish, you know, because no one rose from the dead. Yeah, that's right. But but I think deep in my heart, I really believe that Mary knew. Oh, I think so too. You don't see any skepticism on the part of Mary toward whatever was happening in our Lord's life. Um, there's silence there. There's absolute grief, of course, and many different things. But there's no doubt. It's always an attitude of faith. I believed. It's that going all the way back to the wedding feast at Canaan, do whatever he tells you. Yeah. And he told all of us to believe and not have doubt. Why do you doubt? Oh, you have little faith. He never had to say that to his mother. Yeah. Here's your host. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM, your host for the show this evening. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. This week, we turn our focus once again to Mary and the sorrows she endured through her life as the mother of God. We are in the 24th week of Ordinary Time and will be previewing the Gospel of Luke for the 25th Sunday in Ordinary Time. I'd like to welcome the priest, Father Marty. Good evening, everybody. And Father Mike. Hello. And Father Dennis. Hello, everyone. And Father James is off gallivanting up in Davenport or something? He's at the rodeo tonight. Oh, he's at the rodeo. Oh, Madison. Yeah. Wonderful. Is that official church business? Or? <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Very good. Well, welcome to you all. I appreciate you being here. Uh, in our news and notes tonight, uh, this week is full of great celebrations. And before we get started with that, I just wanted to note on the uh, evening that we're recording this, uh, we have to uh, stop and consider the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, uh, 96 years old, and she was on the throne for over 70 years. 70 years. So, uh, Father Mike, would you would you care to say a prayer for the Queen? And I'd be happy to, yeah. And for all of us, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing and your help as we gather to consider the important place that Mary, the mother of God, played in our work of salvation and his work of salvation. Give us the grace, O Lord, to be faithful to you. Take into your care in a special way the monarch of England, Elizabeth II, who was called into the kingdom uh, this day, and grant the English people and all who respected her a place in your confidence and trust. 
Give us the grace to place our great trust in the Mother of God, Mary Most Holy, during this night when we commemorate her as well. We ask all of this through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns forever and ever, Amen. one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This is getting a lot of uh, press today, but I want to uh, um, read a quote from one of her greatest speeches. Okay. On, on the occasion of her 21st birthday. And I saw today, no, it's true. And I saw this today on Twitter that they um, lost the speech. It had to be found. Oh my gosh. But here's, it, it's just one line. And she says, um, this is before she even ascended to the throne. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And she, she gave that speech in 1947 when she was just a young girl. It was before she even became queen, before her father mm -hmm. died. And so it showed that she wow. had a spirit of service even as a young child. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm too young to remember when she was crowned queen. Do you remember when she was crowned I do. queen? I remember it very well. We had just gotten TV since 1952, and she was only 25 years old at the time, and her father, the king, had died. She was in India at the time, and she flew back to London, and uh, she assumed the throne there. Uh, she said at the time that she was very grateful that she had uh, the pe English people to rely on, and she was very devoted to them all of her reign, especially Winston Churchill, who helped her out when she was a very young woman. Wow. Very good. And hopefully uh, Charles III will go on to be as good a king as she was queen, so... Um, and some more news and notes. We'll go ahead and continue with that. Uh, today, uh, this Sunday, uh, is also Catechetical Sunday. And what exactly is Catechetical Sunday? Catechetical Sunday is when we recognize the catechists um, who teach in our religious ed program. And oh, it's, yeah, okay. so they're catechists. So hopefully they will come together. We'll offer them a special blessing at Mass that weekend. And then um, pray for the students and the parents that have been entrusted to us so that they can learn in the ways of the faith. All right, very good. Um, this Sunday is also a Grandparents' Day, so we'd like to wish all of the grandparents out there a happy Grandparents' Day, and we'd like to uh, remind them of the importance of their role in forming their grandchildren in the faith. Amen. And we will also be celebrating the exaltation of the Holy Cross on September 14th. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Well, the exaltation of the cross, um, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in trouble here. I'm going to start it off with this. Um, it, it's one of my favorite stories where a, a kid was getting in trouble at school all the time. And so in the last ditch effort, the parents said, we're going to send you to the Catholic school. We're going to let the nuns give you some discipline. Okay. And so he comes home the first day and he's a changed kid, even after the first day. <laughs> and the parents are like, what happened? And he goes... I just know that I walked into the first classroom and I saw some guy on a plus sign with his arms hung out on nails and his feet on nails. I said, if that's the way they treat him, what are they going to do to me? <laughs> but no, the, uh, the Feast of the Holy Cross, um, it's actually one of my favorites. Um, it, it celebrates a double anniversary. Constantine in Jerusalem erected a round church above the empty grave of Jesus in a basilica. 
in the square between the two churches, a shrine marking the place of the crucifixion, and it was dedicated in 335, destroyed by the Persians in 614. They were rebuilt around 626, but were later destroyed in 1009. And the present Church of the Holy Sepulcher, rebuilt by the Crusaders, was dedicated in 1149. And today also commemorates the discovery, um, that day also commemorates the discovery of the Lord's Cross by the Empress St. Helena in 320. So I think for me, it's um, so often we want to bypass the cross. Mm -hmm. But it's a reminder to us that life, salvation comes to us through the cross. All right. Very I good. could be wrong there. but No, you're right. You're right. And it's one of the few feasts of the year that actually, when it falls on a Sunday, will um, take the place of the Sunday. Oh, okay. So in about three years, we'll have it on a Sunday. So that will be the feast day. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we have in this diocese, I won't tell you where because I don't want to cause a mad rush, but we have in this diocese a church that has a crucifix in the church itself, and it has a little sliver, just a little sliver, which they say is from the true cross. And uh, so it's quite interesting. Hmm. I know that because I was pastor of that church for a while. <laughs> and if you know the answer... Contact us, and you might win a prize. Father <laughs> <laughs> Marty will give you the prize. <laughs> You'll get a free subscription to Pastor's Perspective. Yeah. Uh, and then the other feast that we celebrate this week is Our Lady of Sorrows on the 15th. Mm -hmm. And in honor of that, our topic tonight, which we'll discuss after the gospel, uh, will be the seven sorrows of Mary. So uh, we're going to go into that in a little more depth after we do the gospel. Tonight, the posse will discuss Luke's gospel for the 25th Sunday of Ordinary Time, and that's chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. In this reading, Jesus tells us we can't have it both ways, saying, you cannot serve both God and mammon. We need to choose, so choose wisely. Uh, Father Dennis, I believe you have our uh, gospel tonight? Yes. Jesus said to his disciples, the rich man had uh, a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. He summoned him and said, What is this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship, because we can no longer be my steward. The steward said to himself, What shall I do now that my master is taking the position of steward away from me. I am not strong enough to dig and am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do so I know what I shall do so that when I am removed from the stewardship they may welcome me in their homes. He called in his master's debtor debtors one by one. To the first he said, How much do you owe my master? He replied, One hundred measures of olive oil. He said to him, Here is your promissory note. Sit down and quickly write one for fifty. Then to another the steward said, And you, how much do you owe him? He replied, one hundred oros of wheat. 
They still already said to him, Here is your promissory note. <coughs> Write one for eighty. And the master commanded that uh, that dishonest steward for acting prudently. For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves with dishonest worth, so that when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great ones, and the person who is dishonest in very small matters is also dishonest in great ones. If therefore you are not trustworthy with dishonest worth, who will trust you with the true worth? If you are not trustworthy with the, what belongs to another, who will give you what is yours? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Mama. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. All right. Thank you, Father Dennis. The Gospel reading tonight, I, I struggled with it a little bit. Okay, I struggled with it quite a bit. <laughs> Money in and of itself is neither good nor bad. Being rich is okay. Being poor is okay. It doesn't really matter to God. Is the master in this gospel a metaphor for money and or our desire for money? What exactly is going on here? I, don't, I, don't, I can understand why you would struggle with it, because I struggle with it too. We got, I think we've got two things going on here. We've got the, in the parable, uh, he seems to be approving what we would consider dishonest behavior. This man is using somebody else's money to make money for himself, or at least to make security for himself. Mm -hmm. And and the, the leader of this this parable is complimenting the guy for looking out for his own benefit, even though he's doing it with somebody else's money. So he's talking about how the the leaders of just this generation, the children of this generation, are more prudent in dealing with their own kind than the people of the generation of light. But ultimately, he's talking in terms of. What is truly moral here, and that is, you know, dealing with your own money for the same benefit. But it is a little bit confusing at first. I think it's one. Of, our Lord in His parables has a shock effect many times because He leads you down a road where you think you know what the answer is, and you know, like Alfred Hitchcock, suddenly there's a change in the story. You know, so. <laughs> and and I think one of the footnotes for this too. I think we have to really look at the first line because the dishonesty of the steward consisted in the squandering of his master's property. Mm -hmm. So he was he was so in in this time frame, it has to it, there was a a Palestinian custom of agents acting on behalf of their masters, and the usurious practices common to such agents. Mm -hmm. So basically, when you when you were trying to get paid back for your master, you also had to get something for yourself. Okay. But he was taking more off the top than what he should have, mm -hmm. and so basically, when he's getting commended for is the fact that 
He's having the debtors write new notes that reflected only the real amount owed the master minus the steward's profit. Okay? Oh, okay. Right. So the dishonest steward acts in this way in order to ingrate himself with the debtors because he knows he's being dismissed from the, his position. Okay? So I'm so you owe my master 100. Well, I'm going to get 50 of that. Well, write down a note for 50. You know, I, I'll, I'll forgo my share. Right. And then then maybe when I'm let go, then, hey, look what I did for you. And I scratched your back, you scratch mine. When the master bounces him out in the street, those people will go, hey, you helped me out, so I'll help you out now. He's dealing with the wrong master here. Right. Right. Taking care of his worldly self instead of his spiritual self. Well, and, and here's the other thing, too, because so often when we talk about stewardship, you know, we think of, of treasure. Right. Okay. okay. There's also time and talent. And, and the line that I love in this is when he says, um, a rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. He summoned him and said, what is this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? One day we're going to have to prepare a full report of our stewardship. The final judgment. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So how did I use the gifts? That God gave me. Right. And not just the gift of money, but also of time and talent. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And that's going to be a very revealing report, even for us, mm-hmm. I think. Because we don't, like Father Marty said, we don't really always think in terms of time and talent. We think in terms of money all the time. And I've always, uh, I've always wondered, you know, when I was teaching, I used to give the, when it came time for an exam, I used to give the kids what we called a, a study sheet. And what I did is I included in the study sheet all the things that were going to be on the exam. But then when I made out the exam a week or so later, I just made a copy of the study sheet. And uh, with one or two blanks in there for each question. And I asked them, this is the test. So if they had studied the way they should have, they'd get 100%. There'd be no problem. And I also gave the same amount of percentage to the study sheet itself. So they had an opportunity of getting two 100% without any problem. But if they didn't study, if they let it pass, if they procrastinated, then they were in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. And I, they'd always say, that's not fair. We don't know why it's not fair, but it's not fair. And, <laughs> so, and I think that's the way the Lord deals with us. You know, We are supposed to be children of the light. And unfortunately, we, we act as if we're children of the darkness so many times. We don't take advantage. We know exactly, for instance, what the general judgment, particular judgment's going to be. He's already told us. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was alone and in prison, and you came to visit me. Why don't we take advantage of that? Why don't we use the study sheet right now to fill in the blanks so that at the end of our life, when the real test comes, we have the answers already? But we don't do that. Yeah, I want also to contribute by saying that when Jesus uses this word of a steward, that means what you have is not yours. You are entrusted. Okay. So, even the way you use what you have been entrusted, you, you are the owner, yes? But what you have is you, you have no full ownership of what you have. You always remember that, yes, I have what I have, but there is someone who made me to be as I am. So when we relate this to the spiritual life, it means a lot. 
that whatever we do, whatever we have, we have to remember always that it is something God entrusted us. I mean, entrusted to us so that we may do it for the glory of God. So everything we have was given to us by God. Yes. It's a gift. And so we need to be good stewards of those gifts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And instead of spending money on the poor or spending money on ourselves and, and worshiping it, basically, we need to share it with the poor. And and that doesn't mean that we can't have nice things. Right. Okay. Because, you know, because, and the thing is, and, and it comes down to this, is... Do you remember the, the show that we did on um, stewardship a, way, a while back? Mm -hmm. And I used the example of the 10 apples. Mm -hmm. You know, the last apple, the one we're supposed to give back to God, was the best of the apples. Well, supposed know, to be. I'm going to keep that for myself. <laughs> right. You know, and, and I think that's where he's coming from here because what, we're, what he's trying to get to is that the prudent use of one's wealth in the light of the coming of the end of the age after the manner of the children of this world representing the parable by the dishonest steward. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that, that I go back to, because I looked at the, um, I keep my homilies now. So I went back and looked at what I preached um, the two times that I had um, here mm -hmm. for this Sunday. And, and I told a story um, about six years ago. Okay. And it was a story about a little girl and her father whose mother, wife, died and the little girl would wait every night till her father got home and she would jump into his arms daddy i missed you and everything and um she would just want to sit on his lap and, and tell him about the day mm -hmm. and he would always respond you know dad's worked hard today i'm tired honey please get down okay well as she grew older she realized she wasn't going to get the attention from her father, so she found it elsewhere. So right. she lived a life on the streets, looking for love wherever she could find it. Mm -hmm. And she got into drugs, sex, other things, and she died at a very young age. And as she's approaching the gates, Peter looks at Jesus and says, well, here comes a winner. What are we going to do with her, Lord? And he goes, let her in. But when his father... But when her father walks to the gates, we'll have a conversation. <laughs> but, yeah. but you see the point there. Sure. Right. It's not just about, about money. It's about the time and the talent as well, too. And what, you know, God, God has entrusted. You know, one of the things that I think about, God has entrusted to me over 1,400 families. Right. How do I best use the gifts that God has given me to help them get to heaven? Right, because I think that's what I'm going to be judged on, that's and I know true. that, and I know, and and I know there's flawed logic in this. And was it two weeks ago that we, or whenever we talked about purgatory, and that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, the one thing that I remember, the one thing that I would think is, will I spend time? Will I be the last one out of purgatory, before the parishioners that God has entrusted to me are out of purgatory? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever thought of that, oh. the two of you. Mm -hmm. And I know that, that I'm, not you know, I'm not totally responsible. Well. But I just kind of wonder, as God has entrusted me these souls. Mm -hmm. Being the old man at the table, I have thought about that many times. <laughs> <laughs> because as, as nature takes its course, I'm closer to that 
period than you guys are. We never know what may happen in between. But I think about that a lot. And I don't think your logic is flawed at all, Marty. I think it's right on right on, uh, on that there because, because your heart's in the right place. That's the important thing. Yeah. And the story that you told, which, which, which gets me a little emotional, um, the story that you told shows the heart of, of the merciful Christ. And uh, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're going to be judged by. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we can take advantage of him in the wrong way, right. presume on his mercy. But it, it, it does show us something of the heart of Christ. I don't, I don't think we give Christ enough credit for being merciful. We talk a great deal. Our parish here is named after the mercy of Christ. But uh, I, I think many times we're too harsh on other people, and sometimes, many times, we're too harsh on ourselves. And with, a, with a, an account like you just gave us, I think that touches the reality of who Jesus is. And that's what we're all about. Amen. Well, the, the gospel ends with serving two masters. Either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. Can there be some kind of middle ground in this? <laughs> there is a lot we can say here. In the... In the in our faith and uh, in matters of God, you have to choose. Okay. You have to choose. Either you choose Jesus, you choose God, or you choose the world. You cannot say that is how I look at it, that I will choose 50% God and 50% the world. That won't, that won't go. So it, it involves, as we have said before, a kind of self-giving, self-surrender. So that really you are with God, not half or middle. No, according to what I see, we need really to sacrifice our life and to give ourselves to God. So the short answer there is no. That you, there's you're either all in. Yeah. Choose God or choose the, the world. And it matters of the heart. That's understandable because the heart. You can't have a half gift for in matters of the heart. In terms of love, it's all or nothing. And that's true in our own normal human relationships, it's true in marriage, it's true in friendship, and it's most obviously true in our relationship with God. The problem is we don't see it that way all the time, you know. And this might help, and this happened Tuesday at the all-school mass. Mm-hmm. One of our kindergartners was wearing a uh, half a heart, you know, on, on a bracelet. Okay. It's kind of that one where you wear two pieces of the heart, mm-hmm. uh-huh. you know. And so I asked her, I said, I said, who's got the other part of your heart? And she looks at me and she goes, Jesus does. <laughs> and, I, and I thought that was really neat. And then I said, well, Jesus kind of wants all of our heart, though. I don't, I'm not getting on the kindergartner for this. Please don't take this wrong, okay? But if we, if we hold back, like, you know, Father Dennis, you were saying, and we only give half of our heart to the Lord, and let's say we're giving the other half to the riches of this world, is our dependence truly on God? Or is it on the riches of this world? Right. Because one of the toughest things I think is, is that when we ask people to give and, you know, as we start the capital campaign, you know, we're asking for a sacrificial gift, something that's going to hurt just a little bit, mm-hmm. that sacrifice, that self-sacrifice back to God. Okay. Right. And, and what we do is, is what we realize, and God tells us this, and we might not see it in this world, but we will be rewarded 10, 30, 60, 100 fold. Right. The problem is, is that when we get into self-gratification, that everything has to be, maybe self, that wasn't the right term to use, but we want it now. Right. 
but sometimes we have to persevere and say God's going to give what we need in due time. We get ahead of God and think that the gifts that we have, we have because of our own talents and our own right. uh, hard work and intelligence and everything, and instead of acknowledging that it's all a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Can God's plan for our lives include financial security? I, I think it can. And I think that's the point that we're trying to make is wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. Right. But as we talked, you know, for the last three weeks, you know, what's the capital sin of wealth? Selfishness. So I'm using my wealth only for me. I want to talk about me, talk about I, talk about number one, oh my, my, my. Um, quoting a country song there. <laughs> um, if it's only about me and what, what my wealth can give to me. That's where we get into trouble, okay? But when we're generous with what God has given us, and not just off the top, but that, that sacrifice, I think that's what God wants, is that reliance on God and not the reliance on the things of this world, the wealth of this world. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So when the, when, the, when the wealth becomes the source of our joy and fulfillment, we, we take our eyes off, like the Father Dennis was saying, we take our eyes off of God. Yeah. And, and it goes to, uh, and, and, and I tear up every time I see this movie at Christmas time, the best Christmas movie ever made, and it's not Die Hard <laughs> or Miracle on 30, 34th Street or anything else. The best Christmas movie of all time is It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. And do you remember there at the end when his brother comes in mm-hmm. and makes the toast, mm-hmm. you know, to George Bailey, the richest man that I know. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a lot of money, no. but he's rich in so many other things. Yeah, And I think sometimes we miss that. I agree. And also, in addition to what Father Mabi had said, there is also a possibility, and that is what even the church wants, to be rich physically in this world, and they use that richness to, to the glory of God, as I have said. That means you benefit both. You are rich in this world and you are rich in heaven. Mm-hmm. So you have richness here already and richness in heaven. That is already the climax of the, the joyful life you would have in this world. Because when you involve like selfishness, it takes away that joy, that happiness which you need, that divine presence in you. But if you give out and you are rich in many ways, and you enjoy both. Yeah, giving giving of yourself, like like we were saying earlier, our, our time and our talents, yeah. uh, a lot of times that's way more fulfilling than just giving money. Yeah. I mean, giving the money is important, but giving of yourself to other people is, is okay. much more rewarding. Mm-hmm. And you experience in that, in the very gift. It's much, you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's that's parfait almost, but it's, it's so true. Because within ourselves, we experience the joy that comes with the gift of self, the sacrificial gift of self. There's one caveat that I want to put in here because we all lived through it. I don't know if Father Dennis lived through it in, in Africa or not, but we in the United States lived through it. And that is the heresy of the gospel of wealth. Like during the 80s, you know, when we had so many preachers saying that if you're wealthy, that's a sign from God that you're blessed, that you're happy. You're only blessed if you have wealth in this right position in your life. And so many people were, were taking that out of context, or actually within the context. And they were saying that if I have a lot of money, then that means I'm a good person. I'm blessed by God with all this money. 
the con convolution of that is that if I don't have a lot of money, if I'm poor, or if I'm in debt, then I'm cursed by God. And that's not true. God chose the poor of the world to associate with rather than the wealthy. So that that's the caveat there that we have to be careful of. Yeah, yeah I've, I've never been wealthy. I mean, I, I grew up poor. Money-wise, yeah. Yeah. And I've always said, I've got a fortune in bills and I'm paying the bills, so I must be making a fortune, right? <laughs> um, what do you tell someone who is struggling every day to make ends meet? Maybe even blames God for their situation in life? Where does God and mammon fit in their lives? And that's a hard one for me. Um, because it was you know, a hard one for me yeah, too. Because we can talk all we want about, you know, in God's time and everything. Well, that doesn't put food on the table. Right. That doesn't pay bills. And so what we do is, and that's where those of us, you know, who have means are called to help out those who do not. And, and one of the things is, and, and this is hard because you have to, you have to walk the line between being taken advantage of and genuine need. Mm -hmm. But here's the bottom line. One day I'm going to stand before God. And God is going to ask me, what did I do with the wealth entrusted to me? Not just individually, but as a pastor, as a priest. Mm -hmm. And how did you help out those who are in need? That's right. And I think we talked about it in, uh, I don't know, in the middle of the episodes back then. Somebody was talking about giving somebody money and, and thinking, well, you know, they're just going to go out and buy alcohol with it or whatever. Mm hmm and and uh, we said you know well maybe that's what they needed at that moment mm -hmm. and uh, and i think you said that you know if if somebody takes advantage of you they'll have to answer for that eventually kind of like the the father in your story yeah i i want also to 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 like to challenge myself when we say giving or supporting or helping the needy in some sometimes maybe because of human uh, weaknesses, we tended to to give what we don't need. Mm -hmm. The excess. To give the excess. Yeah. That has a really a limitation in matters of grace. Because giving, if it is not self-centered, you want to give the, the excess. You will give what God will tell you to give. So that is something I think people need to also to consider. Yeah. The old saying, give till it hurts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that wraps up our discussion of Sunday's gospel. Uh, for those Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> for, you know, sometimes I think this whole show could be about just the gospel. It could. Maybe we need to go to a two-hour format. <laughs> well, that's a later discussion. Father Mike will be happy. <laughs> Father <Ooh>. Dennis! Father <laughs> James isn't here, and so yeah. you're taking his place. His spirit is here. Casting, <laughs> casting all the slings and arrows at me. You noticed that I didn't have not said anything. Okay. Yeah. Father Mike, you you've always been a good friend, and all I right. you protect me all when right. I'm in danger. Okay. <laughs> uh, for those who are just tuning in, uh, this is Pastor's Perspective. Did you say tune in or turn in? <laughs> uh, Father Dennis, Father Mike, Father Marty uh, are, are here holding down the fort uh, with the posse tonight. Uh, if you have just tuned in, thanks for joining us for the show. We're happy you tuned in. Uh, tell your friends about the show too so they can tune in and listen. Since the 15th is, our, is the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, we thought we'd ponder the seven sorrows of Mary during the second half of the show tonight.
St. Basil said of her, As the sun surpasses all the stars in luster, so the sorrows of Mary surpass all the tortures of the martyrs. We can honor the Blessed Mother and learn compassion for her heart and the pain that filled it during the, her life on earth through devotion to her title, Our Lady of Sorrows. Indeed, Mary has given us seven specific sorrows to contemplate and meditate upon, for which she grants many graces in return. The seven sorrows, or dolars, are particular events in the life of Mary that caused excessive sorrow in her immaculate heart, sorrows in which she was especially united to Jesus. Our Lady of Sorrows is a title granted to Mary. Where did that come from? I'm sorry? Our Lady of Sorrows is a title granted to Mary. Where did that come from? My guess would be um, it became very popular. The, the seven sorrows were established by the 14th century. So my guess, Our Lady of Sorrows, would come from, if I were to wager a guess, it would come from the prophecy of Simeon and also the actual story of our Lord's Passion. Okay. And I want to get this in before I forget. Okay. Okay. I think this feast day of Mary is so very important because so often, um, two things. Number one, some of our other Christian brothers and sisters think that we worship Mary. Mm -hmm. We don't. Mary, you know, is the mother of God. But also, I think so often we, tr we tend as Catholics to put Mary up on this pedestal that she said yes to God's will, you know, so life is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't. Not at all. <laughs> you know, well, think, go back, you know, even in, in the chapter before this, you know, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be the mother of God. You know, you're going to bear, you know, okay. But part of that is too, you know, they have to be, I think we could do another sorrow of being born in a stable. Mm-hmm. We've got, um, you know, the prophecy of Simeon who said, he has been established as a sign which will be contradicted and your own heart will be pierced by a sword. Mm -hmm. She knows sorrow. And, and one of the things that I do, especially with, with moms, you know, who are struggling, moms who have lost, you know, a child. Right. You know, so did our blessed mother. She held him in her arms. Right. She knows what it's like. Right. Mary, Mary knows what suffering is about. Yes. Sure. And I think that's why this feast is so, so very, very important. I do too. I think, uh, as we begin, why, why don't we just why don't we just enunciate these sorrows so we know what we're talking about? Um, Mary is the mother of sorrows, and she probably, when we think in terms of her sorrows, I think it's important for us to put ourselves in her place, as if we were Mary ourselves and our own son or our own daughter. First of all, the prophecy of Simeon, you know, that she is going a sword shall pierce her own heart, even before she becomes his mother, she recognizes or she's told that she's going to have to live a, a life of great sorrow because of accepting the call from God to be the mother of his son. And then the flight into Egypt, you know, when he's just a little baby, he's got to, mm -hmm. it isn't like taking a flight and going someplace in an airplane. I mean, this is a great disturbance to her own life. And then the loss of Jesus in the temple for three days. Can you imagine? They didn't know he was in the temple, but they, were, they knew he was lost. If you've ever lost a child... I can remember my parents lost me when I was a little kid at Christmas time, 1947, and I was lost for about three hours. But I can remember even now as an old man, I can remember how distraught my mother and dad were 
you know, the only people that were really happy was me when they, when the fireman <laughs> found me and put me on the fire truck. <laughs> let me drive the fire truck around, not quite. But anyway, that loss of a child. I wonder if you lost a child through death or abortion or whatever. That, that, that sense of loss is overwhelming. Mary knew that it was coming, although she didn't know the way it was coming. Then the carrying of the cross, actually going through the agony of her son, being persecuted and being tortured and not being able to do anything to help him. And then the crucifixion, it goes without saying, the unbelievable agony. Uh, Mary, the scripture tells us that Mary stood by the cross. She didn't collapse. Some pictures have her collapsed at the foot of the cross. She stood by the cross in, in the strength of a woman who was filled with with uh, unbelievable agony, but at the same time, great strength from God. And just seeing that horrible, horrible suffering that she was going through. Then having him taken down from the cross and laid in the arms of his mother. Well, imagine what that must have been like, you know. I was privileged, uh, and Father Marty has too. I, I don't know if Father Dennis was or not, but we've gone to Rome and we've seen that beautiful rendition of Michelangelo, the, uh, the Pietà, where... You see in marble this beautiful image of Christ laying in the arms of his mother in death. That's the same statue we have up in the front at St. John's, right? That's on the right. Left there. Just a smaller version. A smaller version. Absolute beautiful statue. And then, and then being laid in the tomb, being put to rest in the tomb. Now, of course, she knew he was going to rise from the dead, but still, that didn't overwhelm the sorrow that she had from the first moment. When she was asked to be the mother of the Son of God, wondering what's that going to mean with my relationship with Joseph, all the way to the very end where she puts him in the tomb. Mm -hmm. uh, the sorrows of Mary are, are dominant in her life. And any of us who have ever experienced any kind of real sorrow in our life can identify with them. And I, I read, um, I can't remember what website it was, but I read a, an explanation that Mary's sorrows were more intense and more... Uh, pronounced than any mother's because as the mother of Jesus she loved Jesus as a son but she also loved him as her God That's right. mm -hmm. and so she had natural love for Jesus and supernatural love for Jesus which made the joys and the sorrows even that much more intense absolutely um, and and when she agreed you know be it done unto me as you have said she didn't maybe realize that she was agreeing to the not only the good parts, but the bad parts too. Sure. And this is for the office of readings that day. So you might want to do the, the office this day. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Perhaps someone will say, it's from St. Bernard, by the way. I always think of the guys who went to St. Bernard's when you see St. Bernard. But perhaps someone will say, had she not known before that he would not die? Undoubtedly. Did she not expect him to rise again at once? Surely. Surely. And still she grieved over a crucified son Immensely. intensely. When you who you are, who are you and what is the source of your wisdom that you are more surprised at the compassion of Mary than at the passion of Mary's son? For if he could die in body, could she not die with him in spirit? He died in body through a love greater than anyone had known. She died in spirit through a love unlike any other since his. Mm. Very good, Father Marty. Oh, wow! I like that. Yeah, and 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 the other thing too is, and I and I and maybe I maybe I make this too personal, um, but I remember something that my mom said to my dad when I announced that I was taking my leave, because my mom said to my dad, "We've lost him," mm. and my dad says, "No, he'll find his way back." 
but that's that, you know, we all have mothers, mm -hmm. you know, we all grieve our mothers. I think that's something we have common at this table tonight, mm -hmm. you know, but we don't realize how much as a son that we can hurt our, our mother as well, too. You had wonderful parents, Marty. You really did. And I think we can all say that. Absolutely. So, and maybe that's the reason why we're priests. Maybe it's because of special grace that God has given us through our parents. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need. This uh, Sunday, actually it'll be the Sunday after this is broadcast, but the Sunday is Grandparents Day. Mm -hmm. And we're going to pay special tribute in all the liturgies to our grandparents. And I think grandparents are so fairly important because they used to say that God gives children to grandparents for not killing their own parents. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably true. But it's through the work of grandparents that they can help our parents in, in raising children and giving them an insight that maybe parents are too busy to deal with at the time. So. Yeah. I was reading through the, the uh, Bible verses for the flight into Egypt, and um, the, the, the section that stood out for me was, A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled because they were no more. Why is this a great sorrow for Mary? Because it goes back to, um, it's a recurrence back to the holy innocence. So that's the reason why they're taking the flight into Egypt to protect the child. Because Herod wants to kill the child. And he's made the order any male under the age of two will be put to death. Right. So when you hear you know, a ch child dying, you know, that's going to bring up the lament. So Mary was, th this is a sorrow for Mary because of all of the babies who died in Christ's place or in, in yes. because of Christ or, or both, both. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and that's why it's a, okay. A and sorrow. it goes all the way back further than that to the Egyptians and killing the Hebrew babies, you know, because the, the Hebrews were overpopulating as far as the Egyptian masters were concerned. That, that seemed to be a popular way to get back at the Jews. Yeah, it still is, not just the Jews, but it's a popular way of the evil one to get back at humanity. Yeah. And, I think we have to and recognize can, that fact. And you can look at the, the abortion today and Absolutely. see that every day. Yeah. So um, the, the, the loss of Jesus for three days, I think that's one of my favorite Bible decades um, because it, it ends... Where Jesus, when they found Jesus in the temple, he says, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? Um, and, and I, having two of my own kids, um, one of them took off on a bike one day and disappeared. And it was only for 10 or 15 minutes until we found him. But the, the, the absolute horror and uh, dread of not knowing where he was just for 15 minutes was almost excruciating. Absolutely. Um, so it, it's pretty easy to understand why this is a sorrow. Uh, and Jesus was like, I've been here all the time. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> he's almost rude to his mother. He's not rude, but he's, he's, uh, it's an interesting phenomenon, the, the relationship between Mary and Jesus there. And like I said earlier, you know, we can identify almost with every one of these seven sorrows, maybe not in the particulars, you know, we've never had anybody that had to run into Egypt or never crucifixion and all that kind of stuff. But but we can identify with the loss that comes from the unknowing of what's happened to our children. Even today, when our kids psychologically divorce themselves from us, mm -hmm. and they seem to be part of another world that we're not aware of, mm -hmm. the world of drugs and alcohol and all the rest, uh, or when they seem to reject us. I was out to dinner the other night with some grandparents, and they had their grandkids over, and they were two and six.
And the grandfather was complaining to me about how he can't believe this generation, you know, and how rude they are and how uh, disrespectful they are. And, and uh, that, you know, I say, well, you know, when you look at a two-year-old and he says no to you for the first time, that's proof of original sin someplace along the line. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I like what it says, too, towards the end of the finding of the child. He went down, or he went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was obedient, was to, obedient them. to them, and that's important. Mm -hmm. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. In her heart. And Jesus advanced in wisdom and age and favor before God and man. So that little phrase, and his mother kept all these things in her heart. Can you imagine all the things that she had stored up? She didn't. I made reference earlier to the fact that she knew he was going to rise from the dead. Well, I think she did. But but she didn't know everything about the future. I mean, she was a human being like ourselves. And so there were surprises in her life in relationship to her son. And many of those surprises she pondered, wondering, what does God have in mind here? You know, and I think that's important. Yeah, and we already talked about carrying the cross and Mary's inability to help or do anything to, to, uh, to go to Christ's aid. And then, of course, the crucifixion of Jesus, number five. Uh, the two verses that I pulled out for that were verse, in verse 25, it says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. And it specifically says standing by the cross, like you said. And in, in chapter or verse 27, it says, Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And that's a critical point when Jesus gave Mary to us as our mother. In our time of great sorrows, Mary was looking up at Jesus. Can we do the same thing when we're faced with suffering and sorrow? We need to look up to Jesus and, and see him on the cross and what he did for us and know that he's there. That's why I like our parish so much here at St. John's with uh, the crucifix. You, you can't help but walk into that church and look up at the crucifix. Mm -hmm. I was pastor at Holy Family Davenport too for many years and they had a big crucifix on the back wall. And uh, it's so important to look up to him, you know. And then number six, that Jesus is taken down from the cross. In verse 40, it says, they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, and was as was the custom of the Jews. So Mary probably helped prepare his body for burial. Sure. Oh, yeah. She was right there. And that was that was the Jewish custom at the time, was to the, the family or whatever would prepare, wrap, and anoint the body with oils and perfumes. And um, so can you imagine... Today, if, if a loved one passes, you know, 70, 80, 90 years ago, they used to have the wake where the body was brought to the house, to the house. and uh, was in the house with you. Uh, and That's what we do yeah. at home. Do you still do that? You still do that in, in Tanzania? In Tanzania. Yes. Mm -hmm. So um, I remember how impressed I was when I was a little kid, about 60, 1952 or three, one of our classmates died. Uh, Teddy Beckman was his name. His, his grandparents are still alive today. But they had the, uh, he was nine years old, classmate of mine, and they had the wake in the house. And I can remember my mom and dad were talking about whether they should take young Michael to the wake because of the age of the boy who died and didn't know if that was a good thing for me to see or not. Mm -hmm. But they finally took me and I was very impressed. And that's been almost 80 years ago now, and I still remember it, walking into the house and mm -hmm. seeing the little boy in the casket, thinking he was asleep, and wondering why all the, the women were in the parlor with the body, 
crying, and all the men were in the kitchen drinking. <laughs> I couldn't understand why you could have such sadness and such happiness at the same time in the same house. But that was the custom. And then finally, uh, <clears throat> Jesus is laid in the tomb. Um, the, the two verses I pulled out here is uh, number 41. And in the new tomb where no one ha- had been laid, as the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So Mary would have been present there too. Mm-hmm. She would have helped to take Jesus' body and lay it in the tomb and roll the stone over the the gate or over the, the opening. And uh, we've all been at the cemetery after a funeral mass and know how hard it is to leave our loved ones behind. Did they understand the resurrection? Did they understand what was going to happen and, and everything at this point? They didn't really. No, they, they, I mean, Jesus had prepared her for that. But they were like, it's kind of foolish, you know, because no one rose from the dead. Yeah, sure. But but I think deep in my heart, I really believe that Mary knew. Oh, I think so too. Because there's a great scene in the uh, resurrection that was on NBC. You know, mm-hmm. after, you know, the, the Bible continues, mm-hmm. and she's talking to Mary Magdalene in the upper room, and it's like, you know, and he goes, I know he'll be back. <laughs> and, and I'm not just basing my thought on, on a TV show because TV hasn't lied to me yet. I know, but um, but you know, I, I just really do believe that that Mary deep down knew. Sure, I love that scene in Jesus of Nazareth, which is almost 50 years old now. And the apostles are gathered in the upper room after the crucifixion, and they put his body in the in the tomb. And it's the third day, and Mary Magdalene comes back, and she's all excited because she's seen the Lord. And he tells mm-hmm. her to go to the apostles to let them know that you'll see him in Galilee. And they don't believe her. They have nothing but skepticism in their hearts about her. And she gets mad at him, was apparently her custom when she was crossed with the men. And uh, so she said, he told me to tell you and I told you. And then she rams, goes right out the door and slams the door. And I think that's so typical of, of what we see even today. People do not believe at first. They have to be shown. Yeah. Yeah, also about these solos in general, I look at Mary and all these which happened to her, really she was obedient. Mm-hmm. We don't see oh, yeah. a moment when she was discouraged or she just gave up. So she was strong all the time. And also it can be a lesson also to, because she was really a young lady. Yes. She was a oh, yeah. young lady, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And uh, it can be a lesson to our other moms or even the ladies. Yeah. Sometimes they say, oh, I can't have a kid. It is a lot of sacrifice. It is yeah. too much demanding. Or just one kid is enough or something like that. But the reason which is given, you see it is that lack of self-giving to others. So mm-hmm. that kind of sacrifice which I've said. But Mary didn't have that mindset. So it is a lesson also to our moms and our sisters that they should not be afraid to offer this sacrifice to humanity by giving out a baby. And there's no skepticism. In the scriptures, you don't see any skepticism on the part of Mary toward whatever was happening in our Lord's life. Um, There's silence there. There's often grief, of course, and many different things. But there's no doubt. It's always an attitude of faith. I believed. It's that going all the way back to the wedding feast at Cana. Do whatever he tells you. Yeah. And he told all of us to believe and not have doubt. Why do you doubt? Oh, you have little faith. He never had to say that to his mother. Yeah. And all, and I think we can end with this. And this is from uh, Pope Benedict Sixteenth. My favorite. Mary's greatness consists in the fact that she wants to magnify God. 
not herself. Wonderful. Very good. Well, on that note, we will uh, we will wrap it up. Um, I'd just like to uh, mention that uh, Seven Sorrows of Mary Rosary uh, has kind of been resurrected by Diane Mansheim in the Divine Mercy Parish the last couple uh, Lents. Uh, she's been, I think it's Friday, or was it Saturdays or Sundays, Father, that they were... On Fridays during Lent. On Fridays during Lent. She's been saying the Seven Sorrows Rosary before Masses. So uh, if you have any questions or anything you'd like to, any more information, get a hold of Diane Mansheim because... Uh, she has the lowdown on the seven sorrows of Mary Rosary. Uh, Father Marty, do you have a uh, closing prayer for us today? I do. You ready? Ready. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Beloved Mother, so stricken with grief, help us to bear our own suffering with courage and love, so that we may re relieve or re relieve your sorrowful heart and that of Jesus. In doing so, may we give glory to God, who gave you and Jesus to humanity. As you suffer, teach us to suffer silently and patiently. Grant unto us the grace of loving God in everything. O Mother of sorrows, most afflicted of all mothers, have mercy on the sinners of the whole world. Amen. 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 Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Marty. You're very welcome. With that, our discussion of the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows and the Seven Sorrows of Mary has come to an end. When things get hard and you need some help, reach out to Mary. She knows what suffering is all about and will walk with you if you just ask. Pastor's Perspective for next week, the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time, will continue with chapter 16 in Luke's Gospel, and we will be talking about the priest's favorite prayers and other aspects of their prayer life. Until next week, remember, God loves you and has a plan for your life. Jesus Christ died to save you. Go forth and make disciples. We invite you to come back to Mass. Consider this a personal invitation to come home to the Catholic Church. If you are attending Mass, invite someone to join you. I'd like to thank the priests again, Father Dennis. Thank you. Father Mike. Thank you. And Father Marty, we're glad you were able to make it tonight. Gracias. We were a small but mighty group this week. Uh, we'll look forward to having a full house again next week. Uh, Father James, if you're listening, we'll, we'll, we'll see you next week. I'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Please join us again next week on the radio, listen on the website, or go to tunein.com for the podcast. Until then, in stressful times, throw up a Hail Mary and ask her to walk with you. She's always there. Please join us next week. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. KCDM would like to let everyone know that if you haven't had a chance to listen to Pastor's Perspective, the shows are posted on our website, kcdmradio.org, and you can hear Pastor's Perspective anytime you have time to listen to them. Drop into the website and give us a listen. You can hear Pastor's Perspective every evening at 9 o'clock after the rosary on KCDM. You can also pick up the show at 5 p.m. on Saturdays and 2 p.m. on Sundays. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 